0: Jesus, we thank you so much for our church and the the group of of believers that you have given uh, to us and, Lord, that you're developing us into. Uh, Lord, we are your body. And, Lord, you love us with amazing love, uh, unfailing love. And, and God, we are such a treasure in your eyes. And, Lord, no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we fail, or I fail, or, God, we don't treat each other with the, the kind of love that Maybe we should. God, we we ask that you would would fix that, would change that in our hearts. But no matter how many times we fail, you never give up on us. You never let us go. You never treat us unkind. You are always loving. You are always good. And even when we are uh, afflicted by trials and by all kinds of things that are difficult, Lord God, we know that... It's because you love us. It's it's because you have a plan for us and something good to come of it. And God, we trust you in those things. And we pray you'd help us to trust you more. And I pray today for every man in this room, God, that we would learn your word, that we would trust your word, we would believe your word, and God, that we we would be convicted by your word. And God, that we would live according to your word after that. And so... Jesus, we trust you. You are the word, as it says in John chapter 1. Lord, please come into us. Be, be everything that we need, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we learned about the blessing God intends for wives to be and to receive in their, in their relationship uh, with their husbands, and the Christ-like love and service that causes them to be an absolute blessing and joy and treasure to their husbands, you know. Uh, not like that commuter that shared with his seatmate when they were on a train. Uh, he said, actually, my mother-in-law, ha- my mother-in-law and I have a lot in common. We both wish my wife had married someone else. Which is sad. <laughs> but we learned last week how wives, you don't have to be a wife like that. Uh, that causes pain or, or, or uh, a brokenness in, in your husband's life. But you can be a blessing. Uh, or the guy weeping over his gravestone, over a gravestone. And when a passerby passed by and said, hey, why, what, are you okay? Can I, are you all right? Was this someone that you lost that was really important to you? Um, you know, was this your father or, or a relative? Or, uh, his response was, no, this was neither. Uh, this is my wife's ex-husband. Why did he have to die? Again, as a wife, We didn't have, we don't have to be that way. We don't have to create that uh, type of brokenness. But those sad stories won't be the reality for any of us here at White Flag, I firmly believe, because we've learned the solution for a crumbling marriage or a struggling union, a loveless couple, and that solution was the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I'm going back and illustrating that again is because it's the same exact thing for a husband. It's the same thing, the Holy Spirit. If you have problems in your marriage, the answer is the Holy Spirit. And we saw the example of Peter last week, how his emotional statements of love were not at all what Jesus was looking for. But Jesus would take the time to lead Peter to the love that that he intended him to have, which was a self-sacrificing love. And we looked at John chapter 13, the end, and then a lot of John chapter 14, and how Jesus told Peter, Peter, you don't I don't need you to say you're going to die for me. I don't need that, Peter. I just need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it will cause you to be a man of God. It will cause you to love me and love those around you. And so we looked at that example for wives, and I wanted to bring it back up so we have it fresh in our mind for those husbands, that only the Holy Spirit can supply the resources that I'm about to explain that we need as husbands. Because as husbands, we are mostly clueless when it comes to loving our wives. I mean, I know we're supposed to love our wives, but when they get all crazy, we naturally fall back on our defensive and self-protecting and self-serving ways so extremely quickly. And the text we have to study today gives us God's heart for husbands and God's blueprint for a man's life. Maybe you thought last week was pretty difficult or even scared you off from marriage if you're not married well, a husband who walks in this type of love and this type of leadership, wives, you, you'll absolutely love submitting and respecting him. It won't even be an issue. You'll be like, man, I love my husband. It's just a joy for me to honor him. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And this is a great verse for everyone, but especially for men. We're not to be afraid of anything. And I like that. Men like it when when a brave guy comes on a movie or, you know, we hear about some brave man or uh, it it just, it's what we aspire to be deep inside. We want to be brave. And hearing this verse that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, it's what a man internally desires. But all three of these descriptions or these words describe the ministry of a husband so extremely well. You see, power. We said we, we, we minister by the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit gives us power, and that power means that he has weight behind his words. He has leadership. What he says makes a difference. And some husbands, they feel like what they say doesn't make a difference and why is that and some husbands say very little but when they do speak everyone's like oh did you hear what he just said wow that just that impacts me so much how can that be that way and then some husbands they try so hard to be impactful and they say thing after thing after thing after thing and people just don't care and their wife doesn't care what's the difference The difference is the spirit behind the words. The difference is that one man has power in his words because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the other man is trying to do things out of his own power. And the power of man is not good enough for your marriage. Your power, your efforts are not good enough for your wife. And that's where we have to learn that the the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit... And we learned last week, and I'll just mention again, how do we get that Holy Spirit? We ask for it. And so men, we, if you want power in your words, if you want your wife to be like, when my husband speaks, it just, it matters to me. It means something to me. When he says, babe, let's, let's open the word. Let's pray. Let's do something. Let's go to breakfast. Whatever it is, she says, Wow. There's power behind that. There's a spirit behind that because he's been spending time with Jesus. The second word that the spirit gives us when a man is filled with the spirit is love. Not just, you know, bashing his way through life, but intentionally loving and providing for those in his life. A man needs to be loving, a self-sacrificial love. You know, the world has this idea that a man is a man when a man just mans around, like just just doing whatever yeah just i'm just i'm a man and i don't care about anyone around me and god says no a man loves self sacrificially a man is a protector who protects his family and is and that what's been given to him and the third one is really interesting it's a sound mind so he's, he walks in a spirit of power a spirit of love and a spirit of a sound mind it means he's not confused by trials he's not intimidated by the hard things that come in life. He's not tossed back and forth like a boat in the sea. And when the storms come, he's a picture of stability and faithfulness because the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling him. This is so important for a family. I recall back, I remember when I was growing up and my dad was a man of God, he's awesome. And we were going through tough financial times and uh, he didn't have work, he, worked, he had his own business and he just hadn't been, ha- had work recently and we had a mortgage coming up and we, I remember him sitting me and my brothers down on the couch and he said, all right boys, here's the situation. We don't yet have the money for rent and food this, this month. And uh, I believe with all my heart that God's gonna provide. So we're just gonna ask the Lord simply to provide for us. And so we did, he read a few verses We prayed and he said, All right, go play. And we did. And I remember I had no fear as a a son because I knew my dad was solid. I knew my dad wasn't freaking out. And sometimes, husbands, we have a tendency to freak out a little bit. And we put that out on our wives and we say, "Ah, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm really stressed out about it. And your wife is like, You're my rock. What can I do when you're freaking out? And see, the Spirit of God gives us a sound mind, something that's not tossed, something that's solid, built on a rock. And it's it's a blessing to your wife when you're exercising that part of the Spirit, when you grow in that. And maybe this is a way that the Lord is showing you, you need me, you need my Holy Spirit, you absolutely have to have my Holy Spirit, for you to be a good husband. This is what the Spirit of God gives men. It's his gift. It's his promise. His resource freely given to every believing man. Well, how do I get it? It's given to you. Well, how do I, how do I receive it? I don't know. How do you receive a present? You take out your hand... And you pick it up. You just accept it. God has given you these things if you walk in a relationship with him. So, are you going to ask for it? Are you going to receive this gift? Are you going to open the present? Were you just going to say, no, I'd rather just worry. I'd rather stress out. I would rather trust in my ability to fix things and see things through. Or you can have what the Lord offers you. Which is power behind your words, love, and a sound mind. Because your ministry is impossible, your task is monumental, your marriage is a spiritual union that requires spiritual resources. No faking will suffice. Your wife will know if you're faking it. You will have to be a truly spiritual man if you want to have a spiritual marriage. God said, to Adam and Eve, these two will become one. Now, do you actually get physically bonded together? Like, do you, no. You guys can sleep on different sides of the bed. You can sleep in different rooms. You can go to different places during the day because you're not melted together in that way, but it's spiritual. You are connected spiritually and you have to be, then draw from spiritual resources to maintain that spiritual re, uh, relationship. I counseled a marriage uh, last year, and I'm telling you, it was so sad. It was so sad. I have counseled a lot of marriages that have been sad, but this one specifically sticks out in my mind because the husband was so fake. He was so fake. He didn't even know it, though, because this husband, man, he would read his Bible and pray from 4.30 in the morning till 6.30 in the morning or 7, and he, w- he was just a very devout man but he did not love his wife. His leadership was a list of rules and laws that he ruthlessly enforced with no mercy or love. And he thought, he was so sad, he thought he was doing the Lord's will. And when I came to him and I said, bro, I'm sorry, but you don't know God right now. You're not operating as Jesus would have you to operate. You're not loving your wife. He, he didn't receive it. It was very sad. He was hardened. Is the Lord more, more pleased with a family that attempts to keep a list of rules or a family that exemplifies love? Which one is he more pleased with? And the answer, obviously, is a family that loves, not a family that's perfect. This this gets really, this gets down to the nitty-gritty, all right? Because sometimes your husband isn't isn't all all right. Sometimes your wife is not okay. Sometimes they don't do the right thing. And so do we come as husbands and in our leadership say, well, here's the right thing to do and we're going to do it because I'm a man and I wear a belt buckle. No. Your wife will feel beat down. But you can say, this is what the Lord's Word says. I desire to do what the Lord's Word says, but I love you so much. Let's pray and let's hang out together. Let's spend some time together and see if we can get filled with the same spirit, to go the same direction. There's a difference in leadership styles. There's a difference. Now, would you turn with me back to the book of Ephesians, where our text lies today? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it starts out and it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her. In Greek, there are four different words for love, and I'm sure many of you know this already, but just as, as a way of reminder, a refresher, the first Greek word for love is eros, and you're like, why are you teaching me Greek? It's really important for you to understand, because we have love, and the same word for I love ice cream is the same word we use for I love my firstborn child. And there are two different meanings, or I love the Broncos, different, different meanings totally. And, and uh, so it's very important to understand this. eros is the first kind of love, and it's, it's described, as you might guess from the word erotic, as, as love driven by desire. Like, I want to love you. I want to please you because it's my desire, because of my desire, okay? Now, this isn't inherently bad. I have a desire to love my kids, but there's a different kind of love that we're gonna see. That's not the word that was used in this verse. Husband, love your wives. It doesn't mean desire your wives. Well, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to have a good marriage, but I just don't like my wife very much. Well, tough. You married her. So you have a spiritual union with her and God is not asking you to have a desirous relationship with her. You will if you're doing everything right. You're gonna love her. You're gonna have that desire but that's not the goal. That's not the first primary foundation of your love. The second is the word storgi. Storgi. And it refers to family love, the kind of love that's between a parent and a child or the, between family members in general. And it's driven by blood or relationship, okay? The third is philly, philia, which we get, you know, uh, uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love and Philly is the word that speaks of brotherly love or friendship or affection. And it's, uh, you know, it's described as the heights, highest love which man without God's help is capable of. It's like fondness and it's driven by condres, common interest or affection. So it's a good love. It's good. It's great to have brotherly love. Still not what God said though. What God said was the word, as you guys know, Agape which means uh, it's not instinctive. It's not something you can produce. It's a kind of love that's more of a decision. It's, It's as much a matter of mind more than it is of heart because it chooses to love someone that's undeserving. It chooses to shower and uh, love upon and serve someone who does not deserve that love. And husbands, this is where things fall apart in marriages. When your wife is a goober and, and you feel like, I don't feel like loving her right now. I don't feel like being patient. I don't feel like investing in her right now. I feel different. I feel something else, and it's not connection. And this is where we need to seek the Lord's Spirit and be obedient to God's command to love your wife with agape love. When she's undeserving, choose to love and serve her. Barclay says, agape really doesn't have much to do with feelings. It has to do with decisions. So Paul is not saying, husbands, be nice to your wives, or, or bear with that old ball and chain. Or just, you know, or just don't cheat on them. That's all really God wants from you. That's not what he's saying. But rather, husbands, continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. Just as Jesus poured out his blood for his life and his life for his bride. So I am to give my whole life for my bride, Dana. My dreams, my desires, my plans. Everything is dead. For her sake. Her dreams, her desires, they come first in my heart. And I can't just make it an outward thing, an action thing, oh, you know, yeah, I just gotta do what she wants me to do. No, it has to be in my heart that I really consider her and love her and sacrifice for her. It's a love that loves without changing, it's a self giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable and unappealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Keeps on loving. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment for the love given. It gives because it loves and it does not love in order to receive. It just or not just when she, you know, laughs at my jokes. Speaking of, marriage is the process of finding out what kind of man your wife would rather have preferred. I like that one. I looked up some marriage jokes, so I thought I'd share. Relationships are, in general, like fat people. Most of them don't work out. What's the difference between love and marriage? Love is blind and marriage is an eye-opener. <laughs> I love jokes. Well, husbands, how can we do this? How can we do this? Of course, it's through the Holy Spirit. Uh, but what would it look like? If only there was some sort of an example for us to follow. But as we look back in our text, that's exactly what he gives us. He says, husband, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Lo- you loving your wife has absolutely nothing to do with how lovable she is, how much she respects or submits to you. That's how the world loves. It's totally dependent on responses. I'll be nice to them if they be nice to me. You are to love your wife, and she can reject you. But that doesn't change anything. You are to Keep loving. Keep loving. She can keep rejecting and keep rejecting. And why? Why would I put myself through that? Because it glorifies God. Because God asked you to do it. Even when no one else sees. Most of our marriage arguments happen behind closed doors, don't they? If you have kids, you you go in your room and you shut the door. Now I'm going to really let you have it. But In those times, even when no one else sees, you can still glorify the Lord and honor the Lord. I'm going to read a quote from Spurgeon now. It is impossible that some husbands might say, how can I love such a wife as I have? It might be a supposable case that some Christian was unequally yoked together with an unbeliever and found himself himself forever bound with a fetter to one possessed of a morose disposition, of a forward temper, of a bitter spirit. He might therefore say, surely I am excused from loving in such a case as this. It cannot be expected that I should love that which is itself so unlovely. But Mark, beloved, the wisdom of the apostle, he silences that excuse which may possibly have occurred on his mind while writing the passage by taking the example of the Savior who loved not because there was a lovingness in the church, but in order to make her lovely. See, marriage is a ministry to God and to your wife. Husbands, you are the head of your family. Your family should submit to you, but what just flashed through your mind when I said your family should submit to you? Oh boy, the world, if you have a worldly view of headship, a worldly view of marriage, you said, I'm your head, so you can take your orders from me and, and you must do whatever I say. Whereas if you're Christ-like, if you have a godly view of this, you say, I'm your head, so I must care for you and serve you. Women, when you hear those statements of, of uh, submission, the world says, or you know, a husband may say, you must submit to me. So here are the things I want you to do for me. Here's my list. Whereas a godly husband says, when, when having to do a submission, you must submit to me So because I'm accountable before God for you. I must care for and serve you. I'm accountable and I love you. So verse 26, he says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her without the washing of, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Paul is just teaching us about two different things at the same time here, Jesus and husbands. Jesus changes us by making us holy, by washing us in his word. As we spend time with him in the Bible, we are made new. Our minds are purified and our souls are cleansed. As Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. But husbands, you are responsible for the word of God being available to their wives. That's what this is saying. You are responsible. Not just getting them to church. Although that's part of it, it's great for a husband to lead the way to church, not having to be dragged there. But making sure that the Word of God is not misinterpreted, misunderstood, or misapplied in any practical way in their life. Being able to translate the Bible into dinner conversations, or talking about their bills, or talking about their kids, or what they're going to do that night. The Word always has a cleansing effect. So husbands are to always be bringing God's principles into the heart of the conversations you have with your wife. Not in a creepy way where you always say, thus says the Lord after everything you say, but in a natural, real way with that power that we talked about at the beginning that comes from a living relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. We just say, I was talking to the Lord about this and I think it's important for us. It's natural. It's the way it goes. And Jesus, you know, he puts his trust in the word to cleanse us. In John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So Jesus said, what you guys need is to be in my word. It's gonna work. And husbands, You need to do the same thing. Follow Jesus' example in this. If your wife, it's not your wife's job to keep conversations filled up with the word of God. Well, how can I do that if I don't know much of the word of God? That's a good question. Obviously, you need to be spending time in the word and learning and growing, but God will give you what you need to know when you need to know it if you're spending time with him daily. A lot of us are already married and finding the difficulties of this. of of the challenges of of husbands and wives and how this works. And we may feel like we have a mountain to climb of knowing God's word and knowing how to apply it in every single part of our marriage. But know that Jesus is going to give you what you need for every step that you take with him. Even if you got saved yesterday, God will walk with you today and give you what you need today. And it's, it's wonderful. But A lot of husbands, you know, kind of going back to that Spurgeon quote, they say, my wife is so unlovable. My wife's just got a stinky attitude or a stinky, you know, uh, disposition or life. When was the last time you spent time in the Word of God with your wife? Either listening to something or just reading it together or You see, husbands, we have to understand that your wife's condition spiritually is your fault. And that is a tough thing for husbands to hear. But your wife's condition is completely related to your walk with the Lord. He says here, you wash your wife in the water of the word. And husbands think, well, this one's so stinky, I just, need to, I just need to get rid of it and find a new one that doesn't smell so bad. But the problem is, you're going to make that one smell just as bad. If you don't take the responsibility to honor the Lord and spend time within his word in this marriage, your next one is going to be just as bad and probably worse. So your, your wife's spiritual condition is completely... And this is something that when, when couples come in for marriage counseling, and it happens all the time, and they usually come in and they're having a fight, and I bring out I have a pair of boxing gloves in my basement. And so I bring out the boxing gloves, and I say, do you want to do it this way or do you want to look at the Bible? And they laugh, and, and then we, um, we, we start looking at the Bible, and I say, okay, this is what I know. What's going on is your fault, husband. And he looks at me, and he's like, how dare you say such a thing? dude, you don't even know what she's done yet. And that's the beauty of the word of God is I don't know what she's done. And I'm sure that there's sin and she's responsible for sin and all that. Yes. But the way to fix the marriage is by helping a husband to understand that it's all on him. His wife's spiritual condition is all on him. And she can make a choice to walk away from the Lord she can make a choice to say I don't want to be in this marriage anymore and of course those are decisions that the husband can't control but her spiritual life and her spiritual vitality and the way that she feels is completely in the husband's hand and that's a hard thing for husbands to understand it's a hard thing for husbands to get but when they submit to it when they get it it creates a loving man and a man that's desperate for the Holy Spirit. And that's really what all these wives need and want. So husbands, take note. You need the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does his church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, he says, quoting Genesis chapter 2. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, so far, we've learned that husbands need agape love for their wives, following the example of Jesus himself, using the word of God as a guide every step of the way. But now Paul gives us a deeper reason for a husband to love their own wives. And the, re- the answer to that is they are welded to you. Men like that illustration. They like the word welding. It's a manly endeavor. It's you taking metal and melting it with electricity and fire and earth. Couldn't be, I don't know any girl welders, do you? Men do that. Stinky men. Notice Paul didn't use the word, you're sewed together. That's a girly thing. Well, no, welded. And welding, I looked up welding this week, and I was actually quite amazed. Welding, I'll give you the the definition of it, is a fabrication or sculptural process that joins materials, usually metals or thermoplastics, by causing coalescence. And I didn't know what coalescence meant, so I looked up coalescence, which means they both melt And they become liquid and the liquids mix and intermingle with each other and then they cool to become one solid piece of whatever they were. Husbands need to understand that they are spiritually welded to their wives and they cannot break it apart. To break it apart literally means breaking themselves in half. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the apostle puts it in this form in order that husbands may see that he cannot detach himself from his wife. You cannot detach yourself from your body, so you cannot detach yourself from your wife. She is a part of you, says the Apostle. So remember that always. Men do not feel this. We don't. This is not natural. And that's why the Apostle Paul has to explain it to us. Because you and I, guys, do not get this. We don't feel it. We feel quite independent. Yet we must believe it because the Word declares it. Jesus exemplifies it. And men, we must understand it. We are one. David Guzik gives an awesome list of the oneness or welding that we have with Jesus. We have the oneness of life. We share in the same vital resurrection life that resides in Jesus himself. There's a oneness of service. We are privileged to be co-workers with our Lord. There's a oneness of feeling. Jesus feels a unique sympathy with us and we feel a unique sympathy with him. There's a a welding of mutual necessity. We cannot exist without him and he cannot exist in some senses without us. And in a sense that a redeemer cannot be a redeemer without anyone to redeem A Savior is not a Savior without anyone to save. And Jesus is a Savior. There is a oneness of nature. The same genetic code links us with our Savior. We are partakers with his divine nature. There's a oneness of possession. We shall share in the riches of his glory both now and in the age to come. There's a oneness in present condition. When our Savior is lifted on high, so his people are with him as well. There's a oneness of future destiny. He will be glorified with, we will be glorified with him one day when we get to heaven. So men, if God teaches you something and your wife, who's part of you, walking next to you, with you, doesn't see the benefits or the practical working out of this lesson, then you have wasted it or it was fake. It wasn't fruit, but it was actually a man-made attempt at spiritual growth. That's how we can tell. The first place you should see any fruit in your life when it comes to being more loving and more Christ-like is with your wife, in the relationship with your wife. Even pastors must realize that their marriage is their first priority. And any man who's really being used by God in this world, his wife Any man who's really being used by God, he has a wife that knows what her husband is learning and what he's going through and how God is changing him. She can see it. Marriage is the real deal. It's where you really are who you really are. You cannot fake it forever. Are you truly spiritual men? Do you have a loud, lack of power when you speak the word of God at home? But at work, it seems you're just always telling people the word of God, and people are like, oh, he's such a godly guy, and he's, he's, got such, a great, he's such a great man, but he has this burden of a wife. I tell you what, can't be that way. Your power comes at home first. Your spirit happens at home first. Your love is exemplified at home first. Simply said, when you love your wife, you benefit yourself. Or to put it in the negative, if you neglect your wife, you're neglecting yourself and it will come back to hurt you. I don't care what kind of person you are at school or at work or with your friends. Guys, if your wife thinks you're fake and a hypocrite, that's what you are. But it's just harder with my wife. I know because it's real with your wife. All your friends are not as deep a friends as your wife is. They're not part of you. They're not connected with you. I can't tell Kurt that his arm hurts if his arm hurts. Only his arm can tell him that his arm hurts because it's his arm. I am just a friend. I am not one with him. A wife will tell you, you are a loser. And husbands, it's the greatest gift you could ever get because she's being honest with you and saying there is a lack of the Holy Spirit in your heart and it's affecting me. I'm in your body. I'm one with you. I'm welded and I feel it. And you're a man and so you're so dense you don't even get that we're one and you think you can just not spend time with the Lord and we're okay and we're not. Doesn't happen. Amen, women? Doesn't work that way. The oil light in your car is there for a reason, and also the fuel gauge. And your wife has those warning signs too, and it's for your spiritual life, husbands. As your husband, you need to know and lovingly care for those needs. It will come back to hurt you if you don't. Husbands, your wife needs love all the time. She needs love more than you do. She needs you to love her more than you need to love yourself. That's just the deal. You are bound to her. You must love her in order to know and serve the Lord, flat out. If you can't love her, you are demonstrating to yourself and to the church and to the world that you do not have the Holy Spirit controlling you. And that is a dangerous place to be. And so we see verse 33. It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's kind of like Paul says, sorry, I got a little off topic with the whole Jesus and the church thing, it's kind of complicated. Nevertheless, this is what you really got to focus on. Each one of you means every single husband and wife is under this instruction. And you cannot say, well. I'm just not the loving type. Or, well, I'm just not the submissive type of person. I grew up in a very uh, liberated home or something like that. Nope, each one of you, he says. Paul brings us back to the two principles that govern our marriages from the word of God. Husbands, understand the love you are required to give your wife as a man cares for his own body. And wives, understand the place of your husband as your leader, and the head of your body. The problem is when we look at the other person's guiding principle and want them to implement it before we start living by ours. So husbands, no matter what your wife does, how she treats you, how much she hurts you, the way out is always love. I don't see any of you lopping off your legs when you pull a hamstring. Never seen it. Never. The only time amputation comes is when that limb dies, and limbs do die sometimes. Sometimes marriages do die when adultery creeps in. It's sad, and sometimes there is lopping off, but it never never turns out well. Wives, no matter how dense your husband is or how self-centered or how unloving, The way out is always loving submission, always, every time, just like Jesus. The people he loved, the people he joined himself to and connected himself with, they were all committed to destroying him, committed to bringing him down. And I doubt your wife is that angry with you. She's not committed to your absolute destruction. She just wants you to pay attention to her when she talks. Put down the TV remote. Look her in the eyes. And give her everything that she needs. Jesus didn't look to get out of anything. But he was committed to love all these people that were crucifying him. Why? To honor his father. He loved them, trusting that they would eventually respond to his love. And husbands, take that attitude into your marriage. Be patient, be loving. Ah, but she did the same thing today that she did last week or the week before or the week before, or we've been dealing with this for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, and I'm just done. How many times have you heard that from someone who is going through a divorce? I'm just done. And I look at that husband and say, you have failed. I'm sorry, you have failed. If your wife didn't cheat on you, you have failed. That's a hard thing to hear. Cause he'll say, but you don't know, she locks me up, she does this, she does that. And I say, did she crucify you? because that's the extent that you've been given in the Bible of how much you're to love her. Up until the point where she crucifies you. And if she chooses to crucify you, you're supposed to say, may God forgive them for they know not what they do. But my wife knows exactly what she's doing. She just hasn't responded to your love yet. Trust the Holy Spirit. This isn't about you and her. In the end, it's about you and Jesus you and the Holy Spirit, and he will give you the ability to love, even though it's hard. So you guys have just kind of experienced the, the short and easy version of marriage counseling. If you come into marriage counseling, so husbands, wives are thinking right now, man, I got to get in there. My husband needs to hear more of this. We got we to gotta really dive into this. It is. This is how marriage counseling happens in the word of God. Now there specific issues that we can walk through and talk about how to apply it, but it always comes down to these two things. Husbands, I don't care what your wife is doing. I really don't care. Love her. Wives, your husband can be a total idiot. Love him. Respect him and honor him. Because it honors God. And it's, it's, the, it's simple and it makes people angry because they think, oh, you, oh, there's got to be something else to figure out. But in this chapter, what we just read at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, and you guys are going to go and you're, you're going to have your discussions about this, and you, I really encourage you to go through our discussion questions in the, the Anchor Deep page because it, it has some other verses that correlate, and it asks some really penetrating questions. And I and I really encourage you to to dig in and, and see what the Lord would continue to do in your life through these because some of you guys are engaged and about to get married some of you guys have been married 100 years and you're you know <laughs> uh you know got all of this already but god has a lot to do for us or a lot to give us in this scripture so this is one of the most uh, amazing parts of scripture so we're gonna we're gonna close it here next week we're gonna talk about children and parents i believe uh but let's go ahead and, and all stand together And I want to pray, I want to pray a special blessing on on the marriages in this room. So if you're with your wife, husbands, would you just reach down and squeeze her hand? And just, just let her know with the little squeeze of the hand that you love her and that you're committing to... Love her as Christ loves the church. And everyone, if we would all just stand and and bow our head and close our eyes. And husbands, as you just hold on to your wife and and picture yourself being welded together with her. And Lord Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would do spiritual work in our, our marriages, in our relationships. And for those who are single in here, we pray a spiritual preparation in their heart to die to themselves for the one you call them to serve. And for those marriages in here who are, are really going through those, those struggles, those arguments, or maybe, maybe they're just kind of lifeless, God, I pray you would breathe into them your Holy Spirit. Husbands, with one hand as we hold our wife, with the other hand, Lord, we call out to you. Lord, we need you. We ask for you to give us your Holy Spirit, your living water that brings refreshment. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us to have the agape love that you command for us to give our wives. It's a high task. It's a a hard job. It's an impossible job. And Lord, we need you so much to do it. So Lord, we take this time to pray this in, to surrender deep down in our heart and as our flesh even now thinks about all the ways that our wife has hurt us or all the ways that our wife doesn't submit to us or doesn't listen to us, Lord God, we, we bow to you as our Lord, you as the one that loved us first and so we respond in love. We will love. We will do not demand submission. We will lead in love and pray that it will be responded to in the right way. God, we as men ask for your forgiveness. We repent of all the times that we're not interested in being part of your work being part of your plan, being part of glorifying you in all those times where we're thinking about ourselves. God, we need to be crucified and we need the life of Christ to be lived in and out through us. And thank you for giving us wives that we can pour out our love upon. We ask all this in humility, but also in faith calling out to you, but believing that you'll hear us and you'll respond with your Holy Spirit and the resources and the equipping that you give your church.